looking. Deep pattern. Downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we're welcoming in lifelong Dolphins fan and NFL VP of International Marketing and Fan Development for the NFL, Henry Hodgson. He's going to tell us about the London game, Miami's overseas following, and his thoughts heading into year three under Brian Flores and Chris Greer here with the Miami Dolphins. Plus, I'm going to tell you how speed does in fact kill when it comes to the football field. All of that and more on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So you guys probably saw me tweet out last week a quick clip of a Again, another innocuous throw from Tua Tungavailoa to Jakeem Grant. It picked up 12 yards on first and 15. But what I was looking at on that clip, as I do with these, you know, seemingly innocuous clips where it's not the big highlight touchdown throw that you've seen 75 times, I'm trying to show you fine detail of certain plays that can really paint a picture for his future in terms of Tua Tungavailoa's development into the quarterback we all believe he can be. And on this play... I think you get a real good snapshot for how speed can influence the defense, especially the type of offense that Tua Tungavailoa has had success in in his past, and hopefully the type of system that he can excel here in Miami now with a pair of speed receivers and reliable guys that run full route trees with good solid hands that can be depended on in Will Fuller and Jalen Waddell. And the genesis of this entire idea of showcasing how speed can kill a defense came from that play I put on Twitter where I clipped off a pretty innocuous-looking out route from Jakeem Grant, to, from Tua Tungavailoa, rather, to Jakeem Grant. And the reason I wanted to specifically highlight that one play was what it does to create off-coverage against speed. And the reason they're in that off-coverage, at least in my opinion, is that Jakeem Grant on that play is aligned to the boundary side of the formation. Again, boundary means short side of the field. Ball on the left hash. The receiver to the left side of that is to the boundary. It's a two-by-two formation. So you got two receivers on either side. And they motion Durham Smythe, who's in an H-back role, kind of in the backfield adjacent to the line of scrimmage. They motion him over to the field side of the formation. And the field is the wide side. So if the ball is on the left hash, the right side of the formation is the field. So it becomes three by one the old three by one iso so where are the possible areas of conflict in that formation you probably have to roll a safety to the field side of the formation because there are route concepts with that three-man trio over there that could leave you with a blown coverage up top and a wide open room service touchdown if you don't roll coverage help that way just because you're going to have different types of routes that play off each other that can create that rub routes, whatever it might be, picks, natural rubs, and that type of thing. You also want to honor the run because, well, they're in 12 personnel, and that gives you a possible extra two gaps in the running game, at least the one gap in this instance because Smythe was attached to the line in that H-back position. So because they've only got one single high safety, you then have to choose to either roll the safety to Jakeem's side of the field or go over to the field side of the formation. And when you roll away from a 4-3 receiver, there's one more thing you can do to eliminate conflict or not conflict, but rather eliminate the most dangerous portions of the field. For instance, on blitz pickup, 
It's always inside out. The most dangerous threat to the quarterback on the blitz is the most inside rusher. So you see the running back go pick up the A gap before he goes outside and gets the outside rusher. On defense, you get the same thing with the deep part of the field. You most definitely want to eliminate the deep part of the field first. So if you trot out a 4-5 receiver, for instance, and actually hang on, timeout. I'm calling timeout on myself here because the 40 time, it doesn't mean squat. What matters is the explosivity and play speed of that player. Some guys have to build up their speed to get to that 4-3 they ran at their, at their pro day or the combine, where others are off the line like Lewis Hamilton when the draft reduction system kicks in. That's Jalen Waddle. That's Will Fuller. And that's a reason why I was more privy to Waddle than the rest of this receiver class. He was by far the best at getting off the line at top speed by a long shot in that category. So players that can get 30 yards downfield in that two and a half second window and run under a pass that has been put up in the air early because of the function of this quick passing game, that's what you want. That's how you create conflict on a defender who has to decide between coming up and challenging at the line versus giving that cushion. If you give the cushion, you have a chance to rally and tackle moving forward. You come press and you lose, it's show them your taillights time for the receiver. But you stay in that cushion for a few speed outs or slants, you're eventually going to take that step forward, that one sneak peek, and that's when these guys show you the one step inside. They peek their helmet inside as well to really sell the break at the top of the stem. And then one step later, because they see you take that one cheat step inward, they're re-stemming and they blow right past the defender on their way to the goalpost with nobody in their way. See Jalen Waddle's 90-yard touchdown against Georgia this year. The exact same thing I just described happened in that game. And there are more examples of that last year in Miami, for instance. There are examples of it in college. I'll never forget watching a 2018 Alabama LSU game, not the legendary Tua versus Burrow shootout, the one the year prior when Tua ran that 50-yard touchdown outracing Patrick Queen for the game-winning touchdown or the touchdown that put the game out of reach at that point. The game was built up even though Bama was like two touchdown favorites or something because it was the only team on Bama's schedule that could really match up the number of NFL players either side had. And I'll never forget watching that game and texting with friend of the podcast and just a good personal friend of mine and Kevin Dern. I text him and said, this kid is the real deal, man. And again, back to the innocuous details, it was a speed out that he connected with Jerry Judy on. Once again, cushion from the defensive back. Tua gets to the top of his drop so quickly and you watch the way his feet kind of stab at the ground repeatedly. He's so light on his feet, and that helps him expedite the process of getting into a position where he can throw with the proper mechanics, and my goodness, he's so refined in that area. I mean, he looks like a kid who was going out to the beach with Pops at age 10 and drilling footwork in the sand. He looks like a kid who took the coaching from Trent Dilfer at the Elite 11 camp and would go to the park every day after practice to rep and rep the same things over to drill that muscle memory. So that's where the execution of these fine details like ball handling, the quick flick of the wrist, the ability to get to the to get the ball out from awkward platforms when the rush doesn't allow a full setup. This is where you can kind of be death by a thousand paper cuts in the quick game because that type of precision and excellence in the basics and fundamentals both keeps you on schedule and creates opportunities down the field. Then you introduce the speed element. And the reason I showcased Jakeem Grant on that speed out against the Chargers is because he was the preeminent deep threat on the roster last year. Parker, Williams, Gasicki, even Bowden, Perry, and Hollins, all the guys that got reps 
Most of those guys' bread and butter is out leveraging and posting up and out physicaling guys. You know, Lynn Bowden, different story. Malcolm Perry, different story. But as far as deep threats, Jakeem Grant was that. And you need those guys too. The, re- the well-rounded receiver core definitely helps. But Miami needed more balance, and that's what Fuller and Waddle give you. They present the opportunity to get to these burners off the line who can go 0-60 to 60 off the line like a Mercedes car driven by Lewis Hamilton or Valtteri Botas. You can throw them on either side of the formation to present perpetual conflict for the defense in the way we just described because one of them on the field forces decisions where two of them on the field forces the defense to accept that there is a fatal flaw they're going to have to be vulnerable to you have to choose two of the three between stacking the box rolling help over the top and playing press coverage you just can't do all three so Tua's efficiency and high proficiency in these areas teamed with the speed merchants who know how to make every route look the same Whoo boy, that's a fun proposition if you ask me. And you can get to it from 12 personnel where you go balanced, one tight end on either side of the formation. That's ace formation, and it gives you more gaps in the run game to further that conflict. You can get to it from 11 personnel in that three-by-one set we talked about. Hell, there's even instances where you can get the base defense on the field and 13 personnel and create that same conflict so long as the one receiver on the field is someone like Jalen Waddle or Will Fuller who can get to 0-60 to 60 in the blink of an eye. I'll close with this. Kyle Krabs, the tremendous host of Locked On Dolphins and a guy that's become a really close personal friend of mine, we were texting and he was talking about this concept that Bama ran where you get three receivers to one side of the formation. There's no stacking or bunching. It's evenly spaced to the field side of the formation. Again, the field side's the wide side. You've got a skinny post to the one and the one is the furthest split out receiver. The two is the next closest in. The three is the closest to the line of scrimmage. So it goes from outside in. So the furthest out receiver, the one, runs a skinny post. The two receiver runs more of a true post to the crossbar. And the three receiver runs the over route where you try to get deep vertically behind the linebackers and then you cross all the way across the field. It stretches out the defense in multiple levels. And from there, there's some play sequencing off that where the over route can stick his foot in the ground and break back to the outside where the vacated cornerbacks are because of those two post routes. So you can create these moments of indecision with the speed and different sequencing of those routes with those speed guys. And you go back and you watch the big pass from Tua to Waddle in the 2018 opener against Louisville. It's kind of like that, the play I'm talking about. You create threatening concepts that put the defense in conflict and make them choose the least deadly option. And so with the inclusion of the talent and speed at the position, I think it's fair to project more spacing, more proficiency, and just better overall production. Man, I cannot wait, and I hope I explained that the way my brain saw it going in my mind. All right, let's go ahead and get to my guest on today's podcast. If you listen to the Around the NFL podcast, you know him as Handsome Hank. He's a big Dolphins fan and the main driver behind the International Pathway program for players coming from overseas, Henry Hodgson. Let's go ahead and roll that interview. And joining me now is longtime friend of the podcast, Henry Hodgson. Henry is the VP of International Marketing and Fan Development for the NFL. You might have heard him on the Dave Damashek football program or the Around the NFL podcast or previously on Drive Time and Locked on Dolphins. And best of all, Google gobble, Google gobble. He's one of us, baby. He's a diehard Dolphins fan. Henry, welcome back into Drive Time, my friend. It's great to see you, Travis. Thank you for having me. 
Very excited about having you on here. And when I first saw the schedule release come out and I saw that game in London, my first thought was, let's go talk to Henry about this because I know he's <laughs> going to be the best person to to cover that game. But I want to get into more than that in general. Just to catch us up, man. How's life been for you? You mentioned you're not in, in Los Angeles right now. You're on vacation. But is that where you're living full time now? And I'm, I'm sure you do plenty of traveling. Like what's your annual schedule as far as where you're at looking like? Uh, well, yeah, Travis, you're right. So I'm, I'm currently in Palm Springs, but this is definitely not my, my normal home. I've, I've been based in LA now for, for more than 10 years, actually. So I, I started working for the NFL in the, in the London office um, back when NFL Europe was around and, and then on the first London Games. So obviously the, the Dolphins' first ever trip to, to London, which was way back in 2007 now in the, in the first game in a very muddy, not very great game um, at Wembley Stadium against the New York Giants. Um, moved to LA in 2010 um, and uh, worked on, on NFL.com and on the digital media side. And then I'm back now, as you say, in a role with NFL International, looking to try to grow the NFL's fan base all over the world. Um, you know, but but the UK remains a passion of mine. And so I'm really excited to, to, to see the Dolphins going back to their fifth trip um, to London. This is, this is going to be really cool. One of our goals this summer of the, of the kind of off-season podcast schedule is to really encompass the the Dolphins global brand because there are Dolphins fans all over, whether it's in the UK or Brazil or Germany. I've, I've talked to so many fans across the yeah. globe that are big Dolphins fans. It's cool to see. I'm glad you mentioned that uh, it was the 2007 London, the first London game. It was, I think a 13 to 10 Giants victory and somehow some way Eli Manning outraces Jason Taylor to the pylon for a rushing touchdown in that game. Uh, what a fun season that was not for us here in Miami. And we're <laughs> certainly going to, <laughs> we're certainly going to come back and talk about that week six trip across the pond. But first the 2020 team, Henry 10 wins. What are your thoughts on this last season and kind of how that parlays into your excitement level now heading into year three under Chris Greer and Brian Flores? Yeah, I mean, I think Dolphins fans everywhere, all around the world, as you say, there are there are Finns fans, um, you know, across the globe, and I think all of them should be as excited as they've been about a Dolphins team for you know 10, 15 years, and and yeah, maybe for some of those people, that's in their entire life of being a Dolphins fan. I think if you look at the job um, that that the coach and the GM have done in in building up a roster that they feel like they can win with, you know, that that felt as a as an onlooker like you know a, a sort of two or three year process. And it feels like now going into the 2021 season, this is a team that's sort of ready to, to take the league by storm. And I, I certainly fully expect that to be the case. And Coach Flores even talked about it in that phenomenal Peter King piece up on FMIA, Football Morning in America on NBC Sports, where he basically said, you know, if this was 2019 and we had the draft capital that we had acquired after that first move down, we probably just sit on the picks and continue to stock up players. But now we feel we're in a position to be aggressive and go get our guy in Jalen Waddle. How excited are you for Jalen Waddle and this entire draft class? I think I think it's an amazing draft class, and I think the most exciting thing is you look at the guys that have been picked, and they all seem like players that can contribute in 2021. It's not it's not a matter of let's develop these guys. I think you look, Jalen Wall is going to make an impact from day one. Jalen Phillips is going to make an impact from day one. All of these guys are are pieces that can 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 really get on the field and 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 make a big splash. Um, so. Again, it, it feels like the pieces of the puzzle are now together. And instead of it sort of how do we assemble a team that's going to 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 grow in the future, it's, you know, the future is now, if you like. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's funny, Henry, because I think as fans, we kind of evolve in the way we, we watch the team and follow the team. And obviously for us, it's different covering the league and the sport and all that stuff. But, you know, I, I was curious to ask you because – 
I would say 10 years ago in my early mid 20s, I probably would have been really going crazy over the Tua workout hype videos. And I still love them. Don't get me wrong. It just doesn't hit me the way it used to. I'm wondering, are those Tua videos where he's looking all jacked and throwing the ball down the field, are they hyping you up the same way they're hyping the Dolphins fan base up? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they do, but I believed in Tua without necessarily needing to see sort of slow-mo shots of him lifting <laughs> weights. So that, that, that's not necessarily the thing that's going get to me, get me over the hump. I do think, though, Trevor, it's funny. I think, you know, one of the last times that we spoke, we talked about what do the Dolphins have to do as a team to become, to, or to get more national media focus. And I do think those kind of things, having a, having a player like Tua on board and, and the excitement that he brings, as well as kind of this, you know, fantastic review of the Dolphins draft and everything else. You've seen it. You just mentioned it. You know, how many times during the, the time that you've um, followed the Dolphins is Peter King leading a uh, one of his columns with, with um, a story about the Dolphins and, and what they're doing? Or how many times is it that the Dolphins are the team that are being talked about as having aced the draft? So, you know, I think, you're beginning to see, you know, it's not just the fan base that's getting enthused about this team, but also, you know, the entire U.S. and then, you know, more more broadly, the, the global uh, NFL fans are, are looking at the Dolphins and saying, okay, this is an up-and-coming team that's going to going to make some noise in the near future. And it works both ways, right? Like you get the positive press, but also the the negative. I guess just being sure. on the on the cry on on the bottom of the screen for some of these you know these television shows and. We're taping this podcast one day after the Colin Cowherd thing kind of blew up and Dolphins fans went in on that. It's it's fun to see the fan base rally around that. But, you know, it yep. brings me back to this general idea that I wanted to bring up to you because Around the NFL is my favorite podcast. I think it's the best mix of football knowledge and camaraderie and friendship. And obviously, you know, they, they lost one of the four horsemen there recently and Chris Westling. And, and I apologize or I'm, I'm sorry for your loss, Henry. I know you were close with him as well. But those guys, they do such a good job with the podcast and uh the one thing that gets on my craw a little bit is he's a Jets fan, so I understand that Dan's gonna he's gonna get his 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 uh, shots in there with the Dolphins. But when he talks about Tua only throwing the football four yards down the field, like there was more games than just that Raider game on national television where he did push the ball up the field. He had a higher A dot than Ryan Fitzpatrick last year, average depth of target. So I guess what I'm trying to ask you, Henry, here is can you just tell Dan like there are some other games out there too? <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I think I feel I'm probably somewhat responsible for, for Dan doing those things that, that obviously you catch because, you know, in text messages or whatever else, as you say, he's a Jets fan and I, I may not be so kind about his team um, along the way. So I think sometimes when he takes those shots, it's, it's very personal, just knowing that I'm listening and, and that it'll annoy me that he says those things. So probably I should back off on, on, on the Jets text and maybe he'll be nicer about the Dolphins. I, I, I think, look, those guys, you're right about Dan, but you know, Greg is... For a Patriots fan, again, Greg Rosenthal, who's, who's part of the, the, the team there, um, is always enthusiastic about the Dolphins. He sends texts to me, you know, relatively constantly about like, hey, what do you think about this? And Greg loves to get, you know, the inside scoop, for, I think, from fans of, of, of teams. Mark Sessler, incredibly uh, interested in what the Dolphins are doing and wants to see, you know, teams like his Cleveland Browns be successful and, and come up. So um, I, I think overall, with the exception of Dan, there, there are some fans on, on the team there. <laughs> There's the, the passion of, you know, the, the hatred of the rivalry is what makes the podcast great. The fact that they all have teams they're invested in and they care about is yeah. phenomenal. And, you know, I've talked to Mark on personal, you know, DMs and stuff in the past, and he's told me that his brother's a big Miami Dolphins fan, so he does exactly. have that interest in there too. It's And, I exactly. you know, they kicked off the post-draft podcast with Greg, 
saying they, the first question was, which team are you most excited to see kind of this new version of? And Greg's first answer was the Miami Dolphins. So like, yep. like you said, yep. I'm, I'm loving the coverage. I'm loving covering this team. It's so much easier to do the job when you fully believe in what they're building and the excitement and, and knowing that the product on the field is going to continue to get better under coach. So that's all coming our way. Hopefully full fans in the stands coming our way as well. That's the plan right now from Roger Goodell and, and the NFL offices. Did you get a chance to go to any games last year during all the COVID you know, chaos, Henry? I didn't know. I mean, y- y- your first question, which I probably didn't answer very well, was about, you know, what is my normal sort of travel schedule look like? And obviously, like everyone last year, it was uh, I was I was sitting at yeah. home on Zoom um, doing this kind of thing. But typically in, in you know, 2019 and, and before, I'm, I'm traveling a lot around the world. We're trying to grow our fan base, not just in the UK, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but in, in Canada and Mexico and Germany and Brazil and China. And so all of these are places that that I will travel to from time to time. Um, talk to our, you know, the NFL staff that are working there, and 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 you know, make plans on on how we how we grow the sport. Um, sometimes that comes with obviously games in London and games in Mexico, and and I would would have been at those ones as well as um, because I live in LA, I'd like to try and try and take in a, a couple of games there as well with the Rams or Chargers, especially obviously when the Dolphins are visiting. Um, but uh, yeah, sadly last season um, I did not did not make it to any games, and um, it was a, it was a very different, you know, my for the last 10 years or so since I've been living in the U S and doing the jobs I've been doing on Sunday, you're in the office and, and you're working. And so suddenly being at home with my kids, I've got, I've got three kids, um, all of whom I'd like to say are dolphins fans or the, the, the oldest is definitely a hundred percent in on the dolphins. And it was really cool to be able to watch the games um, with him um, and, uh, and, you know, experience that together, which, which, you know, you think would be a typical father and something, especially if you're as passionate as I am about, about my team. But um you know, we haven't been able to do it before because I've always been working. So that was, that was cool. Uh, a cool difference. Yeah. That to me, I've, I've said that a million times. The one positive of COVID was the fact that I got to spend more time with the families you had just mentioned there as well. I think the furthest West we go this year is Las Vegas. Maybe you can stop in for exactly. that one as way as well, but I do know one game you'll be going to for sure. Dolphins at Jaguars week six. And it is in fact a Dolphins road game, a nice advantage from the NFL on top of the fact that we get our first Thursday home game in seven years. And there was three straight TNF road games in between. So some scheduling advantages there for the Miami Dolphins, but now we're heading back over to London. I'm curious to ask you as a person kind of involved in all of this, what's, what's the decision process like for choosing these games and why is Miami so often in play? How come there are so many Dolphins fans out in the UK? Is that why, is that kind of why they, they go out that way so often? Yeah, I mean, look, as you know, Travis, there are a lot of Dolphins fans in the UK. I think that's born out of, you know, football first came on TV in the UK in the in the early to mid 80s. Um, and um, they would show one game each week, but it would be the best game from the previous week cut down into into highlights. And, you know, probably you know, nine times out of 10, that was Dan Marino <laughs> throwing a bunch of touchdowns. And, you know, if you can watch that in 30 minutes, people got into it. So that's kind of how how the Dolphins evolved into a team that became incredibly popular in the UK and I think more broadly internationally as well. Um, you know, so that's that's the growth. In terms of how the, the games are put together, obviously you have to have a team that's going to volunteer to, to give up a home game. Um, and so in the past, the, the Jags, who, who the Dolphins are playing this time in London, um, have volunteered to do that and are very interested themselves in growing their fan base um, in London, possibly looking at the Dolphins and saying, you know, that's what we want um, for, for, our, for our international fan base. Um, alternatively, in the past, there's been the process of teams that win a Super Bowl bid have to give up 
uh, a home game to uh, to go to London. But more recently, you may have read that there's now, as the 17th uh, week has come in, there's now a commitment for four teams each year or to, to, to give up a, a home game. And that'll alternate between the AFC and NFC so that every eight years, all 32 clubs will give up a home game eventually to, to play internationally. Um, and so that, that really, that process will start next year. Um, but for this year, the, the Jags obviously, you know, continue to want to grow their fan base. And, and I think when they look at it, probably, you know, the idea of who could we play in London that would attract um, a big audience on top of the Jags fans that will be showing up as well. Um, the Dolphins are, are the team and they're on the schedule. So um, it's, it's going to happen. I'm kind of wondering if you guys got the modern version of the NFL back in the 80s when you saw those highlight reels because teams didn't play like those 80s Dolphins teams. They were exclusively in their own class as far as the big, you know, 400-yard passing games and four touchdowns. So you might have thought like, hey, football in 2021 is a lot like football was in 1980 for me because those were the real highlight (laughs) reels we got. But that's that's Exactly, that's that's it. Yeah, no, I mean, and that that was the thing. I suppose I didn't have any basis to say this is different to how football is played, but there was certainly something attractive about watching Dan Marino kind of, you know, cut up defenses uh, with those passes, throwing it to Mark Clayton and Mark Zupa that that immediately it was like, okay, this is a team to to get excited about. Yeah, you you enhance his numbers to reflect the modern game, and I think he's going to have every single record book of all time. Actually, have the NFL Network on my background right here, and they're showing me around the NFL guys in London right now. That's kind of cool to see. There you go. uh, Yeah. Let's let's pick it right back up there. And then the Dolphins this year, and I want to say the last London game, the game against the Saints, they did the same thing where they didn't take their bye week the following week. Is that, that's a club decision, right? And can you talk maybe a little bit about what goes into that idea? It is, yeah. I mean, when we, you know, I think one of the interesting things about playing games in London is all the way through, we've tried to look at the evolution of, okay, well, what can you do? So, you know, it started with one game. We then moved to two games. We started off definitely by saying, when you come back, it makes sense to give a team a bye week. And so I think it was, whether it was mandatory or not, it pretty much happened every time. You play in London and then have a bye week. These games, though, you know, partly because of the UK weather, which, let's face it, is not always fantastic. The later you get into the season, the more chance you, you run into to some, some horrible weather, a little bit like the, what caused that first London game with the, the sloppy field at Wembley. Um, and so, you know, I think, Teams that say, okay, well, we're giving up a game, we're going to London, we don't necessarily want to have a bye week in week five. That's not necessarily the advantage we want. Um, and so I think now it hasn't necessarily been, you go to London, you get it, definitely get a bye week afterwards. I think clubs have a chance to say, well, actually, you know, that, that doesn't make sense for us. Um, I don't know to what extent they can then say we'd prefer to have, I think the Dolphins bye week is, is week 14 this year. I don't know whether they can say this, you know, put a, put a pin in, it, in the calendar and say that's where we want it. But I think they can certainly say, you know, that that may be too early for us to take a bye week. We don't need one immediately afterwards. Yeah, especially when, I mean, it's this, it's basically a shorter flight than going from Miami to Seattle, for instance. So really, it's yep. the same thing as going out west. So not not necessarily the same deal with like the Seahawks going to London. I can understand why they might want to buy because they have to basically spend a week adjusting their body clock, but kind of different here for exactly. us on the East Coast. So when it comes to these games and, you know, the kind of the pregame activity and for us on the East Coast, it's going to be at 930 when I was West Coast, 630. Ooh, that was rough. But for you guys over on the UK, it's, you know, around dinner time, the primetime portion. What does a pregame look like for these NFL games? Is it kind of similar to, you know, a, a, a soccer match? I'll use that word probably incorrectly here on the podcast. But <laughs> like when you when they have the march to the stadium and, you know, the pregame meetups and the, and the pub gather and stuff, is it kind of similar for football games? Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, certainly um, the exciting thing about this all of the previous times the Dolphins have played in London, they will have played at Wembley Stadium, which is is the national stadium. 
um, the NFL partnered with um, Tottenham Hotspur um, in over the last you know, few years during the building of, of their brand new stadium, which is, I mean, honestly, Travis, this place is fantastic. It's state of the art. It's, it's, it's an incredible arena. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 every fan has the most fantastic seat. And what you see is the soccer field peels off slides back into one of the stands and then underneath is is the football field so wow. um that that's the first thing that i think is going to be really exciting if you can check out sort of some of the time lapse of of you know that that process happening is, is really cool to see um tottenham is, is a different part of london so fans yeah will be able to travel up there it's it's in a residential neighborhood effectively so you you sort of you, you get on the tube or you know, the, the the bus uh, and you can get there there are there are bars and restaurants and everything around the stadium people will gather beforehand we don't have quite the same amount of space that we have at wembley to do all of the the pre-game sort of nfl puts on a, a fantastic tailgate event um but we'll, there's certainly some of that streets are shut down there's all kinds of things going on but it's it's Definitely, it's a, it's a very cool place for, for fans to come out. And I would say, you know, fans in the UK probably got a chance to see some of that with the two games that were played in Tottenham in, in 2019. But fingers crossed, um, you know, the whole world will be in a better situation and maybe some fans from Miami can come and, and experience that and see, you know, how, how fans uh, in London adapt the, the, the sort of tailgate experience to, to, fit, um, to fit that culture. Yeah, that's the most important thing is getting fans back in there and getting the real spirit of what sports is all about back together. And the first ever Seattle Sounders game I went to, Henry, it was uh, Casey Keller, the goalkeeper's last game. And so they sold out the entire upper deck of CenturyLink Field, which they don't do that for Sounders games except for very unique exceptions. And they had Drew Carey, one of the team owners there, and he led us from a march from, uh, I forget what the part of town it was, down to the stadium. Is that Do they do that kind of stuff too for this at all? Or is that just completely for soccer? I think that's mostly for soccer. I think the cool thing is that definitely, you know, soccer in, in I think, in, well, certainly in the UK, but I think across the world, really, the culture is show up for kickoff. You know, you want to show up as close to kickoff as you can do. And I think NFL fans, obviously, in the US, it's all about the tailgate culture. And, yeah. you know, people are showing up a day before the game begins just to, to, to pregame. Uh, I think fans in the UK, of fans of the NFL, love that culture. They want to try to replicate that to the extent they can. There isn't tailgating culture doesn't exist for the sports for any sport in the UK. But what they so what they do is they do show up early. They do want to mingle. I think there's a sense of that community which isn't necessarily you know always so easy to to replicate in in the UK or in, in other markets where the NFL is not as developed. So the idea that I could walk the street wearing a Dolphins jersey, you bump into other Dolphins fans is not, you know, that that's exciting in itself. So what you find is that people are showing up three, four hours before kickoff just to be there, just to mingle with other football fans, just to have that that atmosphere. And and I'm sure you've seen the pictures, Travis, but for the London games, you will within an instant you'll see all 32 teams jerseys you know we, we're going to be at a Dolphins Jags game but you will find Cardinals fans you will find Raiders fans you'll find Jets fans even unfortunately um you know and they're all gathering there as well so it's um it, it's a pretty cool sight to see um you know this sort of meeting of of football fans together and especially because we weren't able to do it last year and I think it's going to be even more exciting to to get that group back together and, and they'll be from all over Europe it's not just going to be British fans it'll you know we have like seven eight percent of them come from Germany there'll be people from France from Spain this is a a, a, a meeting pot um, for for all of those people who love football and, and just want to be able to experience it you know in, in Europe instead of in the U.S. I'm glad you said it because I was going to say one of my favorite parts about those London games is when they pan to the crowd and there are literally 
16 of NFL jerseys in one shot in one section of the stands. It's so cool to see, especially when you're a Dolphins fan and you look for the teal, the aqua colored jersey that stands out like a sore thumb there. It's exactly. Cool to see that exactly. every single time. My, my favorite thing is we've always, we always hand out flags or something, you know, to, because you want to make the home team feel like it's a home game. You know, it's really important right. for us to make sure that, um, that the club that's given up the home game doesn't have any disadvantage by the fact that we're all 32 teams fans. So, you know, I, I actually posted a, a picture on or a video on Twitter earlier in the year or earlier this week, sorry, when the game was announced. Um, but, you know, so we gave out Dolphins flags when they when they gave up a home game last time. I think it must have been when they're playing the Saints or the Jets there. But seeing fans of, you know, your rivals, Patriots fans, wearing a Patriots jersey, but wearing a Dolphins flag, I always get get a kick out <laughs> of the fact that they're, they're, they're participating in, in all the atmosphere around the game and probably haven't thought so hard about the fact that they're, they're now you know on camera um, waving a flag with the Dolphins logo on. That's always fun. <laughs> That's, that's basically what I would be doing if I went to like a major, you know, a Man U or a, you know, Arsenal game, whatever it would be. I'd probably do the same thing, looking looking a little bit silly, but really enjoying myself over there in exactly. the entire pageantry of it all. So, you know, kind of tying soccer back into football here before we get you out of here, Henry. Uh, who's your Premier League team? And I also wanted to put this question to you because I kind of had some thought about this. I I kind of drew an emotional attachment to Liverpool when I first started getting into soccer really big. Mm-hmm. So that's my team now. But is there a team that you would compare like the rich tradition, a couple of championships, maybe kind of falling some hard times, making their way back up. Is there a team like that that reflects the Dolphins in the Premier League, and who would it be? That's a really interesting question. I'm a West Ham fan. Um, I don't think it's them because I'm not sure they even have the rich tradition to have fallen onto the hard times of. Um, you know, I, there are probably a couple of teams I would call out. One of them actually is is the team whose stadium the Dolphins will be playing in. Tottenham Hotspur are, are a city, a sort of an almost team, and have been for a long time. Um, and but they, you know, they they have constantly a an exciting brand of football and b an influx of sort of young talent. Um, so you know, I think maybe Tottenham is the team that that you could compare the Dolphins to in terms of you know who they could become. Um, and, uh, and, you know, hopefully the Dolphins get a championship a little sooner than Tottenham. Well, maybe you can get over there and see a West Ham game the same week as the, uh, as the Dolphins exactly. are in, in London. That'd be a good, good little deal for you there. So I, I would, I would be remiss if I got you out of here, if I didn't ask you this question, Henry, you know, F.A. Obata, Moritz Boehringer, the great segment on the Round the NFL podcast, some of the big successes of, <laughs> of the, uh, the International P- uh, Player Pathway Program. We've got one on the roster here. He's been a, a, a practice squad roster exemption the last two years because of the International Pathway Program. Uh, Derval Kieres Neto. Fans ask me about him all the time. I see him in training camp, and then when he goes to the practice squad because of limitations as far as what we can watch at practice, I don't get a chance to watch him that often, but I know he's huge. I know he's very athletic. I know he's a great judo champion. What can you tell us about Derval Kieres Neto? Yeah, Derval is an incredible story. As you say, he came from Brazil. We scouted um, some players in Brazil, and he was the one that definitely stood out. He came through the International Player Pathway Program, um, which actually they you know they train um, in Florida, um, and was one of the guys that, again, stood out there during the pro day and, and everything else and, and got the opportunity to, to come to Miami. I, I stay in touch with Derval a lot. He is, uh, he's an incredible human being. He's an incredibly kind guy. Um, he's, we, we, you know, Brazil is one of the fan bases that we're really focused on growing. And I think the cool thing is that, as you know, there's, there's a, a big um, Brazilian expat community in Miami. So I think it's very cool that he's there. And I think he's doing a lot actually to, to grow the Dolphins brand, both back home in Brazil, as well as within that community in Miami. 
Um, you know, Doval and I, you know, he's nice to have an insider. So I, I will often uh, ask him how things are going. And, and he, he's kind enough to keep me in touch. He actually sent um, this time last year, probably sent um, my kids a, a signed Doval jersey. There's a lot of a lot of number 69 jerseys um, around our house. I can tell you that much. Um, but from what I hear, he's doing great. I think, you know, there were times last year, it sounds like Coach Flores really appreciates his effort and, and everything that he does. I think he won a bunch of sort of practice squad player of the week awards over the course of the season. Um, he's incredibly athletic. I think he's the type of offensive lineman that you see that they've been building um, through the draft. Uh, and it could be, you know, I think the unfortunate thing was his first year he arrived as a defensive lineman and made the transition during, I think, camp over to, to becoming an O-lineman. So he never really got the chance to go on the field during during preseason. Obviously, 2020, there was no preseason. And this is really where these guys get their opportunity to shine. They're, all those guys that you mentioned, F.A., Morris, Christian Wade, who's in Buffalo, Jakob Johnson, who's who's now starting at fullback for the Patriots, they get their opportunity to shine in the preseason. He ha- he hasn't had that chance, so I really expect Derval to to hopefully get a shot this this preseason to show what he can do. And I think people are going to be surprised by how how athletic, how versatile, how strong he is. I mean, he this guy is is uh, you know pure sort of Brazilian beef. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I, I think he, he's got a, he's got a bright future. I'll, I'll give you a, a little one. So when, when, um, the game was announced in London, I texted Derval and I was like, great. Uh, you know, I hope you'll make the trip, um, as part of the traveling party. He said, oh no, no, I'm not coming as, as, as part of the traveling party. I'm coming to play. Uh, so he, he also has, you know, strong belief in himself. Uh, that he can not just, you know, continue to be on the roster and keep learning, but I think that he's ready to play for the Dolphins. And and I, I can't wait to see what he's going to do. And I hope you'll keep us in touch during, during you know, the OTAs and mini camps and then into training camp with actually how he's performing. Oh, the training camp podcast and, and uh, website stories are my favorite thing to produce as far as content. I can't, like... I can't even begin to describe how excited I am, not just for training camp, but preseason football. I love the evaluation of preseason football. It's one of my favorite things to do. We get it back this year. Three games on the schedule. They are now out. You can check those out on MiamiDolphins.com. Tickets available, all that fun stuff. Henry Hodgson, to borrow a line from Dan, you said it all here, VP of International (laughs) Marketing and Fan Development for the NFL, at NFL UK Hank on Twitter. He's got one of the best, uh, is it a cover photo, banner photo on your timeline on all of Dolphins Twitter. Check that out. Henry, thank you again, my friend, and hopefully we'll see you out there in London. We definitely will do, Travis. I'm looking forward to it and, and welcoming you know, a lot of Dolphins fans, not just from, from Europe, but also from the U.S. Please you know, get your tickets, come along, and, and, uh, and, and come and experience what that event's going to be like. Can't wait for it. Thanks for your time today, my friend. Thanks, Travis. And there he goes, handsome Hank, as it were, Henry Hodgson of NFL.com, NFL Network, NFL International Pathway Program. He's kind of done it all in this landscape of the National Football League and a great ambassador there for Dolphins football and football overseas as well. I can't wait to get out there and meet all the UK and international fans. It's, uh, you know, basketball has become this global brand over the last decade or so or however long it's been. NFL certainly has, you know, put their toe into the water of the international, you know, global brand. And I think it's only going to continue to get better, especially these recent years with the opening of, like he mentioned, Tottenham Stadium or Wickenham Stadium, whatever it's called. And uh, man, I can't wait to see this thing expand and grow and and meet more Dolphins fans. I, I talk about the Around the NFL podcast because I love 
their not just podcast, but their connection to their fans. And I hope one day we have that same type of deal where maybe we can do a travel podcast and get all you guys together and just talk Dolphins football, not the NFL in general, just Dolphins football, man. So Henry's our uh, our key to that. Thank you to him again for coming on the podcast here. As for today's time, that is going to be my time. It's my daughter's birthday tonight. We're heading out to a a socially distanced and vaccinated birthday party. I know kind of some rules have changed recently, but we're going to still play it safe. My daughter turns one years old tonight, so I'm going to be off the grid with her all day because I've pre-recorded this podcast. We've got daddy-daughter lunch planned. We're going to go pick out a birthday gift for her. I couldn't be more excited, man. Like, ah, let's let's get out of here. Close the podcast right there. You all, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, enjoy your weekend. Fins up. Happy birthday, Care Bear.